Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Luke chapter number 8 is our text for the day. Luke chapter number 8. Today, we begin a brand new sermon series in the book of Luke. For those of you who have been here since January, we've been studying through the gospel of Luke. We paused in May, and now we're picking back up here in August, studying through the book of Luke in a new sermon series, three-week sermon series entitled Tune In, Finding the Right Frequency. Is it possible that God is trying to get through to you? Is it possible that God himself, your creator, the one who knows you, the one who knows how life should work for you, the one who has all the answers. Is it possible that God is trying to get through to you? Well, in these three weeks, we're going to be discussing that concept, and, and I'm going to be sharing with you how to tune in to make sure you're finding the right frequency and you're hearing the right voices, the voice of God from the Word of God itself. Now, I've always had a difficult time reading and following instructions. I don't know about you. I'm not big into walking through instruction manuals and the details that you have to follow. My, my attitude a little bit is like, I mean, honestly, like, who are you to tell me how to put together this cabinet? You know what I mean? Like, I bought the bed. At, I'll put it together however I want to. Who are you, Ikea? to tell me how many bolts I need to use. And it's gotten me into problems, right? Who are you to tell me how to do my taxes? IRS, I'll do it the way I want to. And you can, you, can, you can just deal with the consequences. Who are you to tell me how to find love, joy, and peace? Who are you to tell me how to have daily happiness? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? And the answer is God, God himself is trying to get through to you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to give you an instruction manual. And that's the main concept for today's sermon, that God has given you an instruction manual for life. It's called the Bible. The Bible is your instruction. I've heard people say, well, life, it didn't come with an instruction manual. It's not true. It did. I've heard people say, well, I mean, kids, you get kids. They don't come with an instruction manual, but they do. I've heard people say, marriage, you know, I got married, doesn't come with an instruction manual. It does. According to what we see about Jesus himself, he talks about the Bible and explains what it is, that it is an instruction manual for life. And today we're going to see specifically what Jesus says about the Bible itself and why it needs to be central to your life. If you're ready to hear from the word of God, I want to hear you say, amen. God's written word is your instruction manual. So what does Jesus tell us about the word of God? Number one, most people, number one, most people won't listen. Say that one with me. Most people won't listen. Say it again. Most people won't listen. Jesus, tell us about the Bible. Jesus would say, first thing, most people won't listen. 
And so Jesus explains this in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 and following. Look at what it says. And when a great multitude had gathered, don't you think that if Jesus is going to speak, a lot of people should show up? Can I get a name? How many of you would show up if Jesus was speaking? Amen? We had a lot of great speakers this summer. Not, Jesus was not one of them. But if Jesus, a great multitude would show up. And that's what happens. Great multitude shows up to listen to Jesus and they had come from every city, every village, every town from the region during this time. They all came, hundreds of people. At times, thousands of people came to listen to Jesus teach. And instead of giving a typical sermon, Jesus tells a story. It's called a parable. Look at the story that Jesus tells in verse five. Jesus standing in front of this large crowd. Can you picture Jesus in front of the large crowd? He says... A farmer went out to sow his seed. And when he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down. And the birds of the air came by and devoured it. Some fell upon the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and it was choked. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when Jesus finished saying these things, he cried out with a loud voice, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just because somebody has ears doesn't mean they're listening. How many mothers in this room can give me an amen right there? You're like, oh, dear Lord, I've been waiting for this sermon. Where are the children? Where are the children? Just because they have ears doesn't mean they're listening. Just because they have eyes doesn't mean they're seeing. Just because they have an email doesn't mean they're reading it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I was traveling with my family, as I said. Um, part of our sabbatical included a family trip, one that we had been planning literally for four years and been looking forward to and detailing out for the last uh, six to eight months. We crossed over the seas and went to the UK, visited some friends we, we, while we were there, actually, the Snooks. And when we got there, uh, we came to London, and one of the things in London that we wanted to see more than anything, this is going to sound silly to you, uh, perhaps, was an escape room that we really wanted to see. It was called the Sherlock Holmes Official Game Escape Room. Now, this is cool for us because we both love, all of my kids and my wife and I love Sherlock Holmes as well as escape rooms, and they combine together, both of them, to make a really cool experience to go see. So we're like ready to go, signed up, paid for it ahead of time. They're letting me know all the details through email, and we arrived on a Sunday afternoon. And one of the cool things on vacation is I was able to visit uh, nine different churches in our nine different weeks, and it was a lot of fun. So after church, got on the subway, got on the tube, went across town, and we came out, and it, the escape Escape room apparently was found inside of a large mall, which made my daughters extremely happy. <laughs> we got inside the mall, and I said, okay, so the location is this address. It's the mall. Let's start walking through the mall and find it. So we started walking through the mall, and as we did, my daughters and my wife were like, hey, we've got, we're here a half hour early. Can we spend some time shopping? Now, how many of you have ever done an escape room before? Ever do, do an escape room? How many of you have ever done one? Okay, so you know. The reason you show up early to an escape room is because you have waivers to sign and you have to start exactly on the hour because you have exactly 60 minutes to finish the game. That's it. 
You have 60 minutes in one day, so you can't be late. And my wife and daughters looked at me and said, can we go shopping? I looked at my daughters, I said, whatever your mother says, <laughs> you know, that's the right answer, by the way. So they started shopping a little bit, and then they gave up early, my son and I. We started walking, my two daughters, they, they joined me. I said, I'm going to find the escape room. And so my children and I walked away from Heather to find the escape room while Heather continued to shop. We walked down the mall, and I couldn't find it. Back through the mall, couldn't find it. Maybe it's on a different level. Down that level, back that level, couldn't find it. Christ crossed sixth, seventh time. I'm like, it's got to be here somewhere. This is ridiculous. I looked at the address. I'm telling you, 50 to 60 times, this is the address. Finally, I left the building. I went around the corner to a pizza shop, and I said, do you know where the Sherlock Holmes escape room is? He said, it's in the mall. And then he looked at me and he smiled and said, you'll find it. I'm like, this is, I don't understand. We went back in the mall, walked back and forth several more times until all of a sudden I realized we had walked by this location no less than eight times when I saw Doyle's Optricians. And suddenly it registered, who is the author of Sherlock Holmes other than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And when I looked inside this optrician's, you know, optrician, glasses, sight, can you see what others cannot see? I looked inside and they were selling Sherlock Holmes escape room t-shirts. <laughs> Finding the escape room was part of the escape room. Brilliant! I'm like, this is fantastic. We went inside, signed the waivers. The lady said, is there anybody else in your party? I said, yeah, there's one more. She, they said, do you want to contact her? I said, no. <laughs> this is too good, man. This is too good. So we went in the back room and waited for another 20 minutes. She's texting all of us. Where is this place? Where is this place? Where is this place? I'm like, kids, do not answer your mother. Now, I thought about the business model, and it's fascinating because I thought, this is really dangerous business model. You're a businessman. This is a dangerous business model, isn't it? Sure it is. Why? Because if people don't show up on time, you got a problem. They should have been more clear with their instructions, at least for the person who was leading the expedition of family. I'm like, they should have let me know. Little did I know they had let me know. I checked my email. In the email, it said, if you're leading your party, please know that the escape room begins at Doyle's Opticians. But I didn't know. Do you know why I didn't know? It's not funny. <laughs> in the same way, what Jesus is saying in this story is that three-fourths of people who hear the word of God will never hear the word of God. Three-fourths of people who see the Bible will never see the Bible. He said, the word of God, the seed will try to plant into some people's hearts and it'll just bounce away. Some of it will get strangled out by distractions. Some difficulties will just mess it up. Only 25%. Now, I don't think that what Jesus is literally saying is that 25% of every people who hear the word of God will receive it. I think he's saying the general principle that we began the sermon with, and that is when it comes to the word of God, most people will not listen. They won't listen. Now, you might be saying, but why? Why won't they listen? Great question. That leads us to point number two. Point number two today is only those who seek truth will see truth. Say it with me. 
Only those who seek truth will see truth. Say it again. Only those who seek truth will see truth. You have to be looking for it. You have to be seeking it. You have to be knocking and asking for it. And those who seek will find. Those who knock will be opened unto them. Those who ask will receive. But not everybody will. That's why it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 9, after Jesus tells this story, the disciples come to Jesus in verse 9. The disciples come to Jesus and ask him, saying, what does this parable mean? Now, the Bible says there was multitudes that heard the story, but there were only a few who came to ask Jesus, what does this story mean? Verse 10, Jesus does not tell what the story means. He does later. They said to Jesus, what's the story mean? And Jesus, instead of telling them what it means, he tells them why he gave a story. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, to you, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Did you know not everybody will know the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Not, not everybody will know the truth. Jesus said, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to the rest it is not given. It is given instead in parables, in stories, in mystery stories. Jesus, why would you tell stories and just, instead of just telling them the truth? And Jesus gives a really weird reply here. Some of you, this is going to blow apart your perception of who Jesus is. Jesus said, that seeing they will not see, and hearing they may not understand. He says, I tell stories so that most of the crowd will never get it. What? Yeah. I tell stories so that some people will see the story and not understand it. Some people will hear it and not receive it. What Jesus is doing here is quoting what we call a judgment passage. Say judgment passage. Now, for some of you who have been Christians for a long time, I'm about to reveal an amazing mystery from the Bible most Christians will never see. Hear it. A judgment passage. You see in the scripture on the screen, it's in quotes. Seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. It's in quotes. It means that Jesus is quoting another Old Testament passage. It's found in the book of Isaiah, and the context is a prophet who's dealing with a disobedient nation. The prophet's name was Isaiah, and God comes to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and says, who will be a prophet for me? Who will I send to this people? Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. What shall I tell them? And in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, God tells Isaiah, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they may see the truth with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. You say, Pastor, it sounds like God is not wanting them to understand. Mm -hmm. It sounds like Jesus is quoting God saying, I don't want them to get it. Yep, yep, listen to me. Uh-huh, you're catching on. It's a judgment on the people of God. In Isaiah, it was the nation of Israel. It was a judgment on them because they refused to seek truth. God said, fine, do your own thing. 
Say, God did that with the Israel, Israel nation? Yes, he does it in Isaiah to Israel, and in Romans, he does it to the Gentile nations. Romans chapter 1, he does it to the rest of us. In Romans chapter 1, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Because, why does the wrath of God get poured out on the Gentile nations? Because they knew God, yet they did not glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful. Let me ask you a question, church. Let me ask you a question. Do you agree that most people in the world know about God? I'm not saying most people believe in God. I'm saying, do you believe that most people in the world know about God? Yes or no? Yes. Do most people in the world glorify God? Yes or no? No. Okay, so you understand what they're saying in Romans. Because they knew about God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful, but instead they became empty, futile in their thoughts, and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice that, their hearts were darkened. The judgment that was once upon Israel is now upon all the Gentile nations. Their hearts are darkened, they're blinded. Professing them to be wise, themselves to be wise, they became fools. Thinking they're so smart, they end up being idiots. This is, how, this is how the world is. Look at how intelligent we are. We've arrived at a place where we realize there is no God. Then who do we listen to? You now listen to us. We are your God. Who's your God? We are also our own God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Why? Because God tells them what to do. God tells them, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And they're like, who do you think you are to tell me what to do? And God's like, fine, do your own thing. So what did God do? God gave them over to a debased mind. Do you know why people kill each other? Harm each other? Hurt each other? Do you know why they ignore the rules of morality found in the Bible? <laughs> because they know better than God. And when you know better than God, God sends you not truth. God sends you darkness. It is a judgment on God, by God, on us. Wouldn't it be terrible? Would it not be a terrible thing to know about God and have a problem but not see God as the solution to your problem? Let me say that again. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to have a problem and know about God but not connect the two? In Scotland... There's a place called the Isle of Skye, and it's one of the most beautiful places the world has. It's north of England into the realm of Scotland. It's above Edinburgh and the uh, Scottish Highlands. Beyond that, there is a rim of islands called the Hebrides. And among the Hebrides Islands, there is an island that I've known about and read about for many, many years. Always wanted to see it called the Isle of Skye. This is what it looks like. How many of you think that that is more of a picture of heaven than it is of earth, isn't it? It's an amazing place. It's known for hiking. And so you can go throughout this entire amazing Scottish National Park looking at the beauty of the highlands 
in the Isle of Skye and I had always wanted to go there. And so in our journey, we rented a car and made our way north all the way to the Isle of Skye. We got out for our day of hiking. I had been planning this literally for years. And when we arrived, let me show you a video of what our family encountered. This is us in the Isle of Skye. <laughs> Paradise on earth. I was so ready to do an Instagram reel, you know what I mean? Did not work out. You can see it's there. You can see we're there. We're there. But can we see it? No, we can't see it. Why? Because this incredible, like, dark, cold, freezing fog rolled in that morning and set itself over the entire Isle of Skye like a beautiful gift from my heavenly father. <laughs> and so you're like, but why would God do that to you? I don't know. Still a little upset. It's a tension right now. You know what I mean? Everything's good. I trust him. I trust him. You say, that's terrible, man. You went all the way up there and God sent a blinding cloud so you could not see around you. I agree, it's terrible. Talk to God about it. But even more terrible is that some people don't live with a physical cloud sent by God to blind them to physical things. They live their entire lives in a spiritual fog, unable to see spiritual truth their entire lives. And it is sent by God so that seeing they cannot see, hearing they cannot hear, they will not see truth. Say, man, what about me? What if I'm in that situation where I'm like spiritually blinded? Maybe I've, I've got a sin of blindness in my life. What do I do? Here's what you do. Get on your knees and beg God in mercy. God, can you remove the blindness? I want to see. God, can you remove the deafness? I want to hear. God, I want to see. I want to see. God, I want to see. I need to see. Isn't that exactly what the disciples did? In verses 9 and 10, verse 10, Jesus said, hey, I tell them in parables and in stories, so seeing they cannot see, hearing they cannot hear. But what did verse 9 say? In verse 9 it says, out of the multitude, a few disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, that story you told, what does it mean? Do you know the difference between those who can see and those who cannot see spiritually? Those who can see go to God for sight. Those who seek the truth will see the truth. Don't you remember what Jesus said? He said, pray, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Everyone who knocks will the door be open unto you. Here's what it's saying, friend. If you're in a situation where you think, I'm in a nation that is spiritually blind. I'm in a home that is spiritually blind. I'm in a life that is spiritually blind. I have a problem and I know about God, but I can't connect it to. What do I do? Then seek God. Go to him with truth and say, oh God, I need you. I need you. You gotta help me. You gotta help me. But we don't seek truth as humans, do we? In the UK, I was always there. I found out some interesting statistics. It's fascinating to me. The UK used to be a Christian nation. All five 
Wales and Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland, England. All five used to celebrate Christianity, have great cathedrals, grand, beautiful buildings far bigger than this. They love to follow the truths of the word of God. Yet now, did you know there are 67 million people in the UK? 67 million. Do you know how many go to church on a weekly basis? Less than 1%. It's like 0.087%. Less than one out of 100 people go to church. Say why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because they believe that church and the Bible and God have no solutions for them and their nation. Now, at the same time, less than 1% go to church on a weekly basis, but 54% of the population goes to the pub every week. You say, but you need food to eat. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone. Now, what I find even more fascinating than that is whenever you study the statistics of the UK, the average person who lives in the UK, the average person, not the average person, uh, average amount of time the person that lives in the UK watches television per week, 212 minutes per week. So every week I'm going to watch 212 minutes of television a week, but I'm not going to go to church until Easter. You say, that's crazy. They watch that much television? Careful, U.S. Well, the British watch television 212 minutes per week. The average American watches 270 minutes per week. So we go to church more than them and watch TV more than them. We're winning in both categories. Come on! <laughs> USA, USA, USA. <laughs> so we ask the question, we ask the question like, what's the future of the United Kingdom? Well, I don't know. They got to figure it out without God. Do they know about God? Yes, they know about God. Do they, do they have problems? Yes, they have problems. Do they see him as the solution to their problems? Nope. Because they're blinded. God has sent a spiritual cloud. Now, I'm glad to live in the U.S. where we don't have any problems. <laughs> well, we have a few. Do we have problems as a nation? Yes or no? Yeah, we have problems. Okay. But we, but we know about God. Do we know about God? Yes or no? Yes. Do we as a nation connect our problems between, our, connect, make the connections between God and our problems? Yes or no? Not as a whole. Now we can talk about all of them out there, but let's bring it home to you in here, to me. Do you have a problem? What a curse. What a curse it would be to have a problem, know about God, and not see God as the solution to your problem. Could it be possible that God has sent a little bit of spiritual blindness in your life so you're not able to connect the problem to your creator? Could it be in this moment by God's grace, he has lifted the cloud just a little bit so you can see God is the answer to my problem. Would you grab a hold of that moment and repent and receive Jesus and say, you are the answer to my problem? Which leads us to our third thought for today. And that is you gotta figure out what's blinding you. If you cannot connect your problem to the answer being God, there's something blinding you. And Jesus gives it in the next few verses. 
He talks about the seed as being the word of God. Look at what it says in verse number 11. Jesus said the parable is like this. The seed is the word of God and the word of God is spread among different types of fields. The first kind of field, look what he says. The first kind of field, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. The first thing that steals your ability to see, the first thing that steals your ability to hear is the devil because you have a hard heart. Some of us do, let's be honest, some of us do have hard hearts. Probably true that all of us at some point have had a hard heart toward God. I know I have. Your heart is hardened. You ever seen one of these guys as you're driving around that are, you know, always fixing our roads because our roads forever need to be fixed, especially Rainbow. There's no plan for the end. <laughs> forever Rainbow needs to always be working on, ever, forever. You ever see the guy with the thing, you know? This is the technical, the thing, you know? And he smashes, you know, the thing, the thumper thing. Anybody know what the name is? What is it called? A whacker? A temper? Neither one of you know. It's called the thumper thing. <laughs> Don't listen to these guys. The thumper thing, and it thumps the ground down so that they can lay the pavement, right? The, the, it's not called a jumping jack. Dude, stop. <laughs> he like works on him, you know? He's like over there. In fact, that's why he's sitting here like this all the time, <laughs> every week. I thought it was coffee. He's a, he's a thumper thing guy. What happens is they're making the ground hard. God says some of your hearts are that hard so that if a seed of the word of God tries to penetrate your heart, it just bounces off. This is why you can go to church just as much as somebody else and you never get anything out of it because your heart is hard. Your heart is hard, so therefore you don't get anything out of it. Not really, not really. And here's why your heart is hard, because you don't like being told what to do. So you always have an excuse why the person telling you what to do is wrong. You don't even like God telling you what to do. That's why you don't read your Bible and you don't follow it. And now you're realizing, wait a minute, I have a problem. Yes, because every time the word bounces off, the devil whispers into your ear, you know what, you're right. They don't know what they're talking about. Stolen. And you sit in your little cloud of darkness. Maybe it's the devil stealing your sight. Maybe for you, it's the next one. It's uh, difficulties. Jesus goes on to say, uh, but those with the rocks are those who, when they hear the word of God, they receive it with joy. There's some people when they hear the word of God at first, they, they're all enthusiastic about it. They love it. They're like, oh, this is awesome. I see these people coming to our church all the time. I love Vegas. And one of the reasons I love Vegas is there's an openness. And people will come to church and like, this place, Pastor Josh, I'm new here. That was awesome. And I'm like, thank you. I'm amazing. <laughs> like, this place is killer. They'll come week after week, three, four, five weeks in a row. This place is great. This place is great. And then suddenly they're gone, never to be heard from again. You say, why? Because some kind of a difficulty came into their life. See, that's what it goes on to say. They have no root who believe for a while and then a time of temptation fall away. Some sort of difficulty came in. Maybe God disappointed them. Maybe they didn't get what they want. They came into church twice. They prayed a prayer. It didn't come true. God's not real. You hear about people turning on God. You hear about people losing their faith. 
Here's what the scripture is saying. Those who lose faith never had faith. Those who turn on God never knew God. They were religious people who got enthusiastic about religious things and then things got rough. And when things got rough, they said, nope. Jesus said, there's a third type of person where it's stolen away. So they're blinded because of difficulties. The third type of individual is the type of individual who's blinded by distractions. Look what it says in verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they heard, they go out and they were choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and it brings forth no fruit to maturity. The third is like a seed going into the ground and it comes up and the weeds around it kind of choke out the sunlight and the joy and the nutrients from the soil and suddenly that which was growing is gone and so many Christians are this way. The distractions of life, they really did believe. And they began to grow as a Christian, but there was just too many things out there that took their attention from God. Right? Like you got a job. You got to do your job. Nothing wrong with a job. But when your job starts choking out the sunlight of God, and now you've got all these problems, and you're like, I don't know what the answer to this problem is. And I'm like, you know about God? And you're like, I know about God. I also got problems. You can't connect it to. It might be the distractions of life blinding you. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It has sucked all the time in your life away from everybody, including God. Maybe for you, it's, uh, it's sports. Do you know, there, there, there really will be people who stand before God, and if they're honest, the reason they never went to church is because they worship sports rather than God. 1%, less than 1% of the UK population Less than 1% of the UK population go to church on a weekly basis. 54% watch soccer on a weekly basis. Say, that's terrible. Let's talk about a football, America. 59% of Americans watch football during football season, 59%. Do you think we have 59% of Americans seeking God at church on Sunday? Distraction. You say, well, man, this world needs to change. I'm not the pastor of this world. I'm the pastor of you. What is distracting you from seeing that your answer is God? And so you have to discover what the blindness is and get rid of it. That leads us to our very last point. And it's that, how do I discover this blindness? You discover it by hearing the word of God. Preparing for the preaching. Prepare for the preaching. Say it with me. Prepare for the preaching. Say it again. Prepare for the preaching. Say it again. Prepare for the preaching. This is exactly what God is saying. God's saying there's a guy who's a sower of seed. He's like a farmer. He spreads the word of God. This is about preaching. This is about preaching. This whole story is about preaching. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who've been in church for a while, does it bother you to hear a preacher who has not prepared his sermon? Have you ever sat in a church service and you're like, okay, I'm ready to hear the word of God. You open the word of God and the preacher gets up to preach and you're like, oh no. I know you don't wanna be judgmental. I know you don't. But does it bother you to sit where you're like, I don't think this guy knows his stuff. I don't think he's studied. I don't think he's prepared. I don't think he's prepared to do what he's prepared. Does it bother you? So let me ask you a question practically, practically, okay? Practically, 
what do you think? I don't, how many of you agree with me before I ask you individually? The crowd, I want to ask. How many of you believe a pastor should prepare for preaching? How many of you agree with that? Say amen. Okay. Give me some practical ways a pastor can prepare his sermon on, prepare for his sermon on Sunday. Some practical things. Somebody raise their hand and tell me, hey, pastor, you should do this before you get up to preach on Sunday. What's a practical thing? Somebody raise their hand and tell me. Yes, what? I should pray. Eddie says you better pray before you preach. Are you telling me, pastor, you should pray before you preach? Are you telling me that? Yes, and I, I take it from you. Could you imagine if your pastor got up to preach the Bible and had not prayed over the sermon and spent time with God thinking about what it says and how he could help the people? If I didn't pray before I preached, how many of you agree I would not be prepared? If I did not pray before I preached, how many of you believe I would not be prepared? Say amen. Okay, so I should pray before I preach. Before the preaching, I should pray. What's another practical thing I should do in preparation for preaching? Yes? Yeah, he said walk in the word or study the Bible. How many of you were thinking that? Like you should read the Bible or study it or walk in the word. How many of you were thinking what he was thinking? Would you raise your hand? I'd be okay, a lot of you thinking that. Could you imagine if I got up to preach the Bible and I had not, like the very first time I got up to preach, I'm like Luke chapter number eight. All right, where is that, you know? I'm like, is that in the Old Testament? Is that in the Old Testament? Is that in the, is it in the New Testament? And you could tell, like, this was the first time I was walking through it. You'd be like, dude, like, pastor needs to go back on sabbatical, you know? So I should probably study it ahead of time. I should pray. I should study. What's another thing? Let's say practically, if I'm going to go in and preach on Sunday morning to you the word of God, how could I practically prepare myself to have enough energy to preach the word of God? What, what's something I could practically do? Yes. I should ask the Holy Spirit to guide me back to prayer? Yes. Absolutely, yes. I should rest. I should rest. Could you imagine if I came into church and I wasn't prepared to preach because I was up all night? Uh, imagine, some of you work downtown. Imagine it's 3.30 in the morning, you're gonna get off in a couple hours. And by the way, some people in this church work all night Saturday night into Sunday morning, go grab coffee, come to church at 8.30. That's amazing to me. Yeah, amen, amen, these folks. That's incredible to me. But imagine you're at work 3.30 on Sunday morning and uh, you're kind of getting things ready, set, it's kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden you see, you see Pastor Josh walking in. It's 3.30 in the morning. And I'm not there praying with somebody. I'm just like, what's up? At first you'd be like, what? And I see you, I'm like, hey, I'm back from sabbatical. What's going on? You're like, Are, yeah, I heard you were preaching tomorrow. I'm like, I am. It's going to be a great sermon. You're like, cool, good, good. Hey, pastor, you know what's Sunday, like right now, right? I'm like, yeah, we're like five hours away from church. Woo! <laughs> what would you be thinking? First of all, you'd be thinking, we need to talk to the deacons. Uh, about this. <laughs> Why? Because if I'm going to be able to properly preach the word of God to you on Sunday, I should be preparing by getting the rest I need on Saturday night. Huh. Now, as you study this passage... Do you notice it's about preaching, but it has nothing practical for the preacher. It has everything practical for the hearer. 
It doesn't in this passage tell the preacher how to preach. It tells in this passage how the hearer is supposed to hear, which means that preaching is a two-part job. It's my job to preach. It's your job to hear. So my question is this. If I'm supposed to prepare for it, why aren't you preparing for it? Is it possible that maybe the reason we're not receiving from the word of God on Sundays what we need is because we're not properly prepared to receive? Say, well, how could I prepare? What's one practical way? Back to you. What's one practical way somebody might be able to prepare for the preaching on Sunday? What's one practical way? Somebody raise their hand and tell me. What's one practical? Like maybe it's similar to what we've already heard. What's one practical? Yes, what? Pray. What if you were to pray like my sister said, I should pray for the Holy Spirit to guide me. What if you were to pray before coming to church? Holy Spirit, it's been a crazy week. Would you guide me to hear the truth and open my eyes to things I did not see? That's good. What's another practical thing you might be able to do? Yes. Yeah, you could read your Bible. Crazy thing is, at our church, because I always just preach the next passage, Luke chapter 8, verses 16, 17, and 18 next week, you already know where I'm going. You could read and study ahead of time so that you can do what some of you do after church and you can be like, Pastor, what it actually means is, and you could correct me. It's awesome. I love it. It's so much fun when you do that. It's cool. Ways to prepare for preaching since we're running out of time. Look at the slide. Ways to prepare for preaching. Go to that slide. See if it's up there. Four ways to prepare for Sunday. It's going to be on there. They're prepared, I promise. It's, uh, it's... Okay, well, forget it. All right, I'll, I'm going to close your heads and bow your eyes, and we'll... Uh... Uh, all right, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, right? Okay, verse 15. Look what it says on verse 15. Is it, is it stuck? There it is, all right, all right, all right. That's a sarcastic clap, by the way, you can tell. Four ways to prepare for Sunday. Study, pray, sleep, lastly, decide. They say Sunday church is a Saturday decision. Do you know why you're here? Because you decided you would be here. Very few of you woke up this morning and you're like, what do I do today, what do I do, what do I do? Oh, you know what, church. Most of you decided yesterday you would be here today. Some of you decided years ago you're going to be there every Sunday. Can I, look, why, why? Going back to this main concept, you're going to have problems in life. There's a God in heaven. The only way to keep you from being blinded to how your problems connect to God is by opening and preparing your heart for the preaching of the word of God. So study, pray, sleep, and decide. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so very grateful for the word of God that you've given us today and how it changes our lives to make us more like you on a daily basis. And I pray for myself and for my family, my friends in this room as we celebrate 18 years of ministry, we would not only preach the word of God, but we would receive the word of God in our lives every single day. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today.
If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.